the advice I was getting at the time was send about 25%. You want to be really aggressive. So send about 25% of retail pricing. They were saying 25 to 35%, I guess. So <laughs> I did 25% of retail value in the hottest markets in the country. And I sent out all this mail and I didn't get any deals. Did you get any responses? Oh, yeah. I got responses, quite a bit of responses. You know, some people were angry at me that I sent such a low offer. Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Welcome to the Turning Profit Podcast. Heather, it's so great to be here once again. I was going to ask you if you're excited to be here today. I'm always excited. You are. You're always happy, right? <laughs> I'm always amped up. Yep. Well, because you drink more coffee than me. Well, I do. Yeah, you drink coffee. So don't act like you're... You I know. drink like one cup. How many do you drink? Uh, a couple cups. Right, but they're like... In the morning like, and then another, right, and then <laughs> another one like in the afternoon. Double espresso or something. I, when I say one cup, it's like literally one cup. It's one cup. It's one cup. From me. Huh? Okay. Anyways, now you understand my my disposition. Okay. Maybe well, if I was hopped, so did tough you say hopped up. Did you say hopped up? Amped up. Amped up. Okay. Hopped up is hopped good up. too. Whatever. Easter kind of still in the in the <laughs> spirit well, or something. It, I don't think it's Easter <laughs> reference, but. Um, but the weather's good here, right? Is it okay? Kind of. I haven't been outside of this studio here. There's a little the studio. There's a little more sunshine. Okay. And we're actually going to be moving the studio soon, right? Yes, moving to a new location. Probably a little bit of a new look. We're going to be enhancing the look a little bit. Right. Got we'll some have, ideas? Because right now we use this is your. I mean, it's pretty much your office. Mm -hmm. You have technically like a table over there you could use as right. your desk but and this would be completely separate mm -hmm. yep yeah they'll be completely separate and uh so a standalone thing that we can go over there and just mm -hmm. turn the cameras on and go so that'll so, be fun what are we talking be. about today uh we are talking about the common errors that investors make when sending mail so these are things that can go wrong when you're sending out mail now we generate all of our business by using direct mail like all of our leads and everything mm -hmm. So in order to send mail and have it to be effective, you got to avoid these things or you're going to be wasting a lot of money or not getting any deals. That's kind of the gist of what we're talking about today. But don't you have some current events to talk about first? Yeah, I mean, I'm just the bear of happy news. So, of course, the first thing I want to talk about is another bank failed. Oh, OK. Right. Well, not really. It got bought out, right? Well, I know, but that's still it got taken over by the FDIC. OK. And then... JP Morgan Chase took it okay. over. First, Repu sold it off. First Republic. Mm -hmm. But I think it's funny because back in like the olden days, like the last kind of turbulent times, the banks failed on Friday night. Mm -hmm. And then over the weekend, they would line up, like FDIC would take control of it. They'd line up a new buyer. And now it was like before it even fit, like they were doing these like kind of weird timing, like it was Sunday night. Like, mm -hmm. but yeah. I think it's interesting because that means like maybe the FDIC is getting just evolving or whatever. But the big takeaway is, I mean, every time we, we walk, we have one that we can walk by mm -hmm. and we've never seen anybody there. Yeah. It looks like it's especially been a ghost town lately. So I don't know what was going on. Yeah. But I was like, it's going to fail. And I wasn't wishing it to fail because I, I heard it's actually, it was a pretty cool bank. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they had a lot of specialized things and stuff like that, but it's all about the hysteria, the contagion. Yeah. Seems like everyone was just like worried that it was going to fail. And mm -hmm. then that's, uh, you know, that creates the run on the bank. People are taking their money out and then it causes more problems and the problem gets worse and worse. And then eventually it just 
can't, it's not sustainable. So I know they were big in the commercial real estate area. So, you know, obviously that's probably where a lot of their problems stem from originated from, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so I'm sure someone's going to have to take their place eventually. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. And that's kind of where like my thinking was going to is that, you know, we have this big thing about how we don't want any one company to have too much of a marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. Because then all that stuff. But so JP Morgan Chase like took over the deposits. I don't even, I haven't looked it up, but like, are they taking over the loans? I'm sure they are. Like mm-hmm. who's buying the different divisions? And yeah, so, they're sure they're taking over all right, the assets Right, but so JP Morgan Chase is becoming even like bigger and bigger. Now I think that, that they, Chase had already gotten in there and they were the ones that kind of put that influx of money to stabilize yeah. it. And I'm not even sure if these ones happened like, SVB, I don't think it happened. Like, it's not like 2008, because that's what everyone keeps talking about. Like, oh, mm-hmm. is it the same? And it's like not. It's like we have tons of defaults on these banks in the housing market. Right. This was literally just a run on money. And you think, I mean, SVB was a little bit more, but there wasn't like one catalyst. Like, there wasn't this one thing that happened. Mm-hmm. It's just that, like, you were like, I'm taking all my, you, not you personally, but I'm mm. using you as just the general public here. You're going to take your money out. Right. And I'm like, I don't think that there's a reason to do that because I don't think the bank's going to fail. So that seems weird. But now I'm thinking because you've been doing it and you know, I always use Joe. I don't know Joe, but poor Joe. Okay. I know he does Joes. it. You know what I mean? That I don't want to be the one left like there and I lose everything because you guys got out. But I think it's the same kind of thing with all, like in real estate. Also, the word run on the bank is so funny because do you still picture like in history books, like the people actually taking cash out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Winding up at the doors, you know, like at, in a small town, you know, at the, yeah. at the local bank and like uh-huh. kind of like, you know, outside and trying to get in the bank to get their cash. Yeah. Right. And um, in 1999, I was still working at the bank. I remember Y2K, like everyone thought for sure the computers weren't going to work right. and there was going to be this thing. So the um, head of the bank that I was working for at the time was really concerned about a run on the bank. And I like was thinking like 1930s, like I was like, or, you know, like how, what, what would that look like? And I was imagining people lining up and that didn't happen, but they said, anyone who wants to take all their money out, give them a free safety deposit box where they can put all their cash into it. Don't let them take it. You know, I mean, what am I going to do? Like physically stop them at the door. Like you can't put this under your bed. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like it was just all these things. And, but it's that hysteria. Well, it didn't happen because there wasn't that spread of, there was no internet. Mm-hmm. And this was a smaller town bank. So what are they going to do? Stand outside the door with like a sign that says like, take all your money. Like, I don't know. Um, But anyways, I think the same thing is can happen to different real estate markets where it's just that kind of that contagion happens. It's like, so they're talking about there's more defaults. And I was like, well, how many more? Well, there was like 67,000. I believe that was the number more defaults in the housing market in comparison to what time period. I don't know. But so then people are trying to make that. Well, what's the normal like 67,000 more. Is that like a 0.00001%? Like, yeah. I mean, the last time the real estate market mm-hmm. like crashed, like the 2007, 2009 ish, it all happened because the media started, you know, picking up with this story and then it started building up a lot of momentum and it just kind of collapsed. <laughs> right. Because then but, people were losing jobs because people were holding on to cash. They weren't, right. they weren't hiring more people. So it was like, it, it kind of felt on a life of its own. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, looking back, like you want to be the person that was like, no, it's not going to happen. We didn't think it was going to happen yeah. because we didn't have that expertise to know. No experience. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And we weren't smart enough to know that anything can happen. Right. Now I think we are. But um, so it's like, you got to pay attention. And of course it's local and all this kind of stuff, but it just makes me always think of like the broader picture. Like think about what people are saying, even if you don't believe them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is that affected land at all? Are you feeling anything? Uh, No, I'm not feeling anything in the markets that we're dealing with. You know, obviously there's a lot of people talking about the market. Things are not as maybe 
crazy as they were in maybe 2021, it kind of reached a, a little bit of a frenzy with mm-hmm. anything that you would put on the market would, would, you know, sell right away pretty much and things like that. But, you know, we've still had really brisk sales this year and we've been doing really well with our inventory and, and things like that. So I haven't noticed any any sort of big changes when it comes to the land market. Now, land is kind of disconnected from the residential real estate market in a little bit of a way. It's There's not a direct correlation because most people that are buying land are not getting loans. There are as a percentage that are, mm-hmm. but a good portion of our buyers are actually just paying for them cash. So it's not as direct of effect because you know the interest rates have been rising, so it's not a not as big of a thing. But you know, some people are buying them to actually put a mobile home on them, or just buying it to hold, or buying it for recreation. Lots of different purposes like this, but we don't typically deal in the development type properties. And I'm sure that's probably affected quite a bit more because a lot of the builders and the commercial people are, you know, a little bit cautious right now. So they're they're not buying properties. They're not doing new projects and they're just waiting to see how it all shakes out. Which is kind of interesting because like, let's say this is a downside or mm-hmm. down market for them. But how long does it take to get from like buying the land to actually develop? Like if they started now, by the time they get to build out, it would probably be the right time to yeah, cycle. Yeah, probably right. It's probably exactly right. You know, because I feel I, I feel bad for the people who are like, okay, we're going to do this. It's two, 2021. They're like, okay, we're going to do all this. Well, now that comes to market, you know, how many years later? And now mm-hmm. you're in the down cycle. Right. It's wow. weird. I mean, but I understand it too, because if people aren't wanting to lend, what are you going to do? That's right. You know, yeah. and people get scared during the wrong times, especially with the housing market crunch. It's like, you know, I was telling you about that, the hotel that the, the somewhere in San Diego, one of the cities is buying. And it was like, I read that they were going to be paying like 387000 for a door, like for a room. It's like a Best Western or something yeah, like that. Yeah, or Motel 6 or something like that. And like <laughs> yeah. 387000 I'm like, and, and then you were like, and they still have to renovate it. Yeah. You know, it's crazy, crazy but buy up some land, right. put some stuff on it. and you can I might like, start selling motels to the cities. That might be a good thing. Okay, have fun. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sounds like a good business model. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, keep me posted. You can use your Christmas money or whatever. I joke about you. I'll just buy up some of the ones that have got real problems, you know, like it's drugs, prostitution, all these types of things. Okay. And then I'll just kick everyone out and sell it to the city. <laughs> I was like, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, I'm not going to actually do it myself. Oh, okay. okay. Hire someone to do it. Okay. Well, I mean, it's not actually not a bad idea. It's mm-hmm. truly not because there's housing, like people who are experiencing homelessness deserve to have a house to live in. Mm -hmm. Right. And then that helps the whole community. So it's the right thing. I'm just not sure if that's the right use of that kind of money. With with anything with the government and these municipalities, they're so wasteful. Right. That's what it feels like. You know, the private sector is very much more careful with their money Mm -hmm. and strategic, but you know, it it just, it's just a lot of waste that goes into it. And I'm sure, you know, people along the way got to make all their money, but it's, uh, you know, just doesn't seem like the numbers make sense to me. Well, but how many of those people are actually that are making the decisions have actually run a business or had to consider that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not I'm not faulting them. I mean, they, they're still doing a job, too. But I think you bring a unique viewpoint and understanding when you've actually run a business and it's felt like your money because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like their money. Yeah. And even in their best, they're doing, let's say they're doing the absolute best they can do. You know, they're relying on people to give them opinions that probably have some sort of foot yeah. in the game. Is that the right? Foot in the game? I'm horrible about that, but you know what I mean? So anyways, let's get to the topic for today. Okay. All right. I forgot what the topic was for. Oh, so common investor mistakes when mm-hmm. sending out mail. Okay. That's, that's what we're going to be talking about. Well, I want to start 
with your first mailer. We've talked about it a little bit, but mm. you've made mistakes. You please, made mistakes. Please don't remind me of this. You either. made a lot of mistakes. They were so unsurmountable. <laughs> I make a lot of mistakes, I'm just yeah. kidding. But okay, so you sent out a mailer. You mm-hmm. made mistakes, but you learned from them, right? And right. I think that that was a value in and of itself. Okay, let's let's go back to when I started this whole business. This was at the end of twenty, end of twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and it was I remember right after Thanksgiving or over Thanksgiving where I bought a training program and I just learned everything I could about it. And I was super excited about it. I got you to buy into the possibility of this. <laughs> At least somewhat, he had told me. He sold me. So I was very excited. I was trying to learn everything I could about it. So I kind of quickly put together my first batch of mail, which was 10,000 letters. I figured 10,000, to me, that seemed, I was seeing other people, they were sending out a batch of 1,000 or 2,000 or something like that. And I was like, you know, I don't want to start small. I'm going to go big. Of course. And 10,000, I figured, was a good number that would get, you know, get Mm -hmm. some leads coming in and some potential deals. Do you remember how much money that cost? It was like $6,000 or something like that. Okay. Five or 6,000, 5,500, $6,000, something like that. So anyhow, I put together this list and kind of the advice I was getting at the time was, hey, look for the hottest markets that you can find. These are the best markets to deal in. So I did all my research. I started figuring out some really hot markets that I wanted to send to. And I figured, well, you know what? Why don't, just, why don't I just send to the hottest markets in the country? Those should be really good markets to sell into. So I did that. I found the hottest markets, came up with, I don't know, 10 different counties, something mm-hmm. like that. And in a, a few, to, two, three different states, I think is what I did. And then the advice I was getting at the time was, you know, we send out blind offers. So these are actual offer amounts on a letter specifically customized to a person's property. So say if they own a 10 acre property in a certain county and certain state, we're giving them an actual offer amount. Like a price, you're giving a price. A number, we're giving like, a price. We're sending them a letter, and we'll this, buy it for X. Th- yeah, the second page of the letter is just a purchase agreement. It's got like a price and their details about their property, and and then they could either call us and talk to us about it, or just sign it and send it back if they want to. So, the advice I was getting at the time was, you know, send about twenty five percent. You want to be really aggressive on your offer price, so send about twenty five percent of retail pricing, and uh, you know they were saying twenty five to thirty five percent, I guess, and. I took that to me and I should do 25%. So <laughs> I did 25% of retail value in the hottest markets in the country. And I sent out all this mail and I didn't get any deals. Did you get any responses? Oh, yeah. I got responses. I get an, uh, quite a bit of responses. You know, some people are angry at me that I sent such a low offer, <laughs> which is always going to happen no matter mm-hmm. what percentage. You send 100% value on your offers, you're going to get angry people calling that you lowballed them or something like Do you, that. Just, you know, but I, like, I want to talk about that for a sec, because when you were selling actual residential properties and you would go and you would talk to a seller and you would bring with you comps. So you'd do like, even in like track homes where they were all the same houses and you'd bring them these sheets that say, these are what's for sale, the prices, this is what's sold. These are the prices. And you gave it to them. Like, there's no dispute. Like, right. These here's, are, here's what your house is worth. Here, here's what we should list it for. It's pretty uh-huh. cut and dry. Right. And you were giving them actual like proof of what was happening. People would still say, that's BS. My oh, house yeah. is worth. I could sell it for 50,000 more. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe, but I, I really doubt right. it. Right. In, in a stagnant market too. Like, uh-huh. so it's not like a lot of times it's not even that the price, I mean, they are offended by the price, but it's not because of like a real reason. Right. It's because in their mind, whatever you had offered would still have been low because mm-hmm. they had no intention of selling anyways. Right. It was just like you attacked, you know, their family history or something with yes. this property. Okay. Go on. 
Hey everyone, just a quick reminder that you can join our community for free at landconquest.com. Inside, you'll get all the resources, training, and support for building a thriving land flipping business. Once again, that's landconquest.com. All right, enjoy the rest of the show. Yes, I sent out these really low offers. I got a bunch of people angry at me, and I got responses too. Now, the properties that I was getting, it's like some interested sellers on. Every time I'd look them up, there was like some sort of major issue. I remember properties that were underwater, like actual underwater, like off the shoreline, but there were parcels. Like, so maybe at one point they were actual land, so but sad. but not anymore. Right. Or properties that were under these big, huge transmission lines and mm-hmm. not the small, like power line type things. Like, like going from house to house. This yeah. Like, like going the... from region to region, mm-hmm. like the major transmission lines and the properties. It was like a 10 acre property. I remember this one. And eight or nine of the acres was underneath it. And the other like little sliver was in, in the corner. So really not a usable property. You can't really do anything under those big, big transmission lines like that. So, yeah, so they were interested in selling to me, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> it would have taken any offer. Right. So anyhow. Huh. After, Sides of hills, that was my favorite. Right. Where it was like literally just like the side of a hill. Yes. But, but you know what? The interesting thing was I actually learned a lot from that. I got to look up a bunch of properties. I got to talk to a bunch of people and I learned that, you know, okay, I was a little bit low on my offer price. You know, I was way too low on my offer prices and I picked the wrong regions because while hot regions are great for some investors, you know, that's kind of more of an advanced strategy. Mm -hmm. So you got to really know your values so you can, you can compete. So anyhow, that's what happened on my first mailer, but I didn't let me get, let it get me down. I kept thinking, you know, oh, the good leads are coming. The good leads are coming. So two weeks after I sent that one, I had already had another batch ready to send of another 10,000. So thankfully on that second round, I was like, okay, I, I get the sense that I was too low on this first <laughs> one. I upped my offer price. I also changed the areas I was, I was mm-hmm. mailing into markets that were good and healthy, but not crazy. Right. By combining those two factors, then we were able to land a number of deals from the, from that second mailer and everything went well. I'm still looking back. I'm like, that's crazy that they are recommending you do the hottest of hot markets because in those areas, I mean, people know that their land would sell instantly on the open market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's so hot that it's... Right. And you're probably competing about everybody else that's... Or c- competing with everybody else that's like you that's like, oh, this is the hottest market. Right. And you've got the small developers that are probably buying up a few lots in a row that are going to do their small projects. And it's just like it's it's more competition than it's worth. Right. And, you know, these people in these areas are generally, you know, that's the right. talk Everyone's of the town. About Everyone's yeah. talking about how great real estate's doing. Uh-huh. And uh, so it's just tough. Right. It's not impossible. It's no. tough. Like, like right. we do. We deal in a lot of like super hot markets now, but we've got some really good people on the ground. We're super confident in our values. You know, if you're not dealing with a lot of information, if you don't have like a track record in, in a certain area, you can't really be confident in pricing. So I know mm-hmm. in certain areas that we can step up on certain properties because I've got experience. I've sold similar properties in that area and I know I know what works and what's not going to work. So I'm able to compete in those areas. But as a new investor, you're, you're going to have a really hard time doing that without any sort of infrastructure, people on the team on the ground kind of helping you out. Yeah. And I mean, it made sense to your thing. Okay. If I can get it for 25% of the value, I could sell it for 75% of the value. Mm-hmm. And I have my expenses that go in there. So maybe I net 30% mm-hmm. or whatever, but do you still try to get like, what do you, what's your ideal target? Well, I always try. Like I, when, when we're buying these properties, I'm always like, my first thought is hey, I want to, I want to double our money. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes, you know, going into a deal, I know that we're not going to double our money. 
but we're still going to make a really good percentage on that. And I'm less about the percentage. I'm more about like kind of the absolute thing. Like if we can make, you know, depending on how much we have to put out in order for some of these properties. I mean, you know, if we can make 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, like that's, that's all great. Like that's all a lot of money. So. Right. I like that. I was, I was trying to get at too. Mm -hmm. You don't really do like, I'm not trying to get a percentage of this. I'm trying to make sure that it's worthwhile at this chunk of money. Like is our investment that we're putting into it to buy it going to net, you know, a chunk a of A decent money. return. Yeah. Right. Like for instance, you know, at the beginning we were doing some smaller properties too. Like we used to take the smaller properties and I don't, I don't do a lot of those now, but the percentage return on some of those properties is great. You can buy them for five or 7,000 mm -hmm. and sell them for 21, 25, 35,000. crazy. Of, yeah. So you can mm -hmm. double, triple, quadruple your money. You know, mm -hmm. we've done that in numerous deals and the percentage wise is great, but on absolute dollar amount that you've actually made, you might make 20,000, which is great. You know, that's, but it's less about the percentage and more about the actual money that you're going to be making from the deal. If you've got the funds there to, to actually, you know, invest at the time. And I so. think some people that get into this are thinking, we don't have, like, we've never sat down and said, okay, you have your numbers, you have your goals, but we've never been like, it, we have to do this amount of money or mm -hmm. whatever. We do it just, you keep that money moving. Like, that's the goal. Like, we don't limit, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. We don't stop ourselves. Where a lot of people get into it and they're like, okay, like what you just said, if I could buy a property every month for eight to $10,000 and sell it for $21,000 mm -hmm. and I've made, you know, $8,000 after all expenses or whatever, $8,000 a month, that's what I need. Mm -hmm. You know, or they'll say, okay, if I take, if I buy two of this and I get, make this much, like if I can make 20,000 a month. So it's like kind of that psychology of how you look at it too. And so it's not the way that we do it doesn't have to be how everyone else does it. Exactly. Or how you do it. Right. You, yes. not you. Yes. Uh, correct. So I did put together a little bit of a list of some of the common errors that investors make. And I wrote it down, so, uh, I but I don't you, remember. But the funny thing is, I already asked you that first question. That's so oh, funny. okay. Because um, I, this, I was going to, let's see, talk about the story of your first mailer. And mm. you talked about the 10,000 letters. I already asked right. you that. You mailed to the hottest county. You did that. You okay. offered to You got this all. Oh, okay. okay you're well, good. Let's just go down through them one by one. Um, I'm going to so. get to the second part. I'm not letting you look at it. I oh, okay. Well, I can't remember. That's well, why I write things even, down. Then it'll be even more fun. What's okay. number three say? Okay. So you said the common investor errors. Pricing too low. Oh, yes. Pricing too low. Obviously, I did that. I made that, that major mistake mm -hmm. on that first mailer. I priced it 25% in a super hot market. Now, in a super hot market, I've got, by the way, I've got all these guidelines and things all mapped out in our training program mm -hmm. that we are releasing soon. Training program, if you haven't heard, is going to be in our land flipping community. Where's that, Pete? Huh? Where is that? The land flipping community, you can find it by going to our website, turningprofit.com, and there is a link there. Also, right below this video, you will find a link for the community, and you just click through there if you're looking at it on YouTube. Yeah, so. you um, spent all weekend working on that, so. I did, it's gonna yes. Get, it's going to get done. Okay, so you- um, Very close. Um, so anyhow, I got guidelines uh -huh. for all the pricing and everything in there, so coming soon. But when you talk about a very hot or ultra competitive market, maybe talk about what the difference between like, we still go for, you know, markets that really move, but what's the difference between an ultra hot? Well, yeah. So an ultra hot market, I mean, I look at data. So mm -hmm. I'm looking at these tools that you can look at for free on the internet, you know, either Zillow or Redfin, depending mm -hmm. on the area generally. And basically what you look at is the quick test that I do is I look at, say I'm looking at properties 10 acres and above. Mm-hmm land. So I do a filter in there. I, I'm only looking at land. I'm only looking at properties that are 10 acres and above. 
and I'm taking maybe a specific county in the country somewhere. So you like have found this county that you've decided. Right. So it's not like you're looking at that to find the counties. You're just. I mean, yes, you want to do your research before you actually send out the mail and kind of mm-hmm. determine the areas that you want to get to. But once I'm getting to the, the pricing side of things, I'm looking at doing that search for a particular county, 10 acres and above, only land. And I'm looking at over the past 12 months, how many properties sold in that area over the past 12 months. Then I switch it to active listings and I see how many active listings are available right now. So if it's pretty balanced, say there's 50 active listings within that range and 50 that have sold over the past year, that's a pretty balanced market really for the land side of things. Now that wouldn't be good on the residential side of things. That would be really, really stagnant. But for land, that that's a pretty balanced market. Now, if there was a hundred listing, hundred active listings and only 50 sales over the past 12 months, that's a pretty slow market. You've got basically two years worth of inventory on the market. So if you're going to go into a market like that, which is fine, you're going to have to be ultra aggressive on your price because you're going to want to stand out between all of those other listings that are out there. Now, a hot market would be just kind of the opposite of that. Say you've had 50 sales over the past year and there's only 10 listings there. So you know that there's anything that gets put on the market that's decent is going to sell really quickly because there's limited stuff for people to choose from and there's still a lot of activity happening. So you kind of have to base your pricing accordingly. If you're sending into a market that's super hot like that, you've got to be higher on your offer price. Your percentage of retail value is going to have to be you know, much higher in order to basically get the attention and get the deals. You know, you may be up to 50%. And that, so. and it still might be attractive to somebody because they, they've been thinking about selling, but they still just don't want to do the whole process. There's right. some people the with their time is money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're the convenience buyer. And for some people that works, for some people it doesn't. Right. So, and then if you're going mailing into a slower market, like say a really slow market, we've got, you know, three or four years worth of inventory, you know, when looking at those numbers, you know, you probably want to be down towards that 25% because then you, you know, in order to force a sale, you've got to be really aggressive on your list price. You might need to be that 50, 60%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like you, yeah, exactly. Resell, on, you know? on the re- yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing about that is that you're probably, you want to make sure that you're only buying quality properties in those areas mm-hmm. because the junk properties, you're going to have a really hard time selling those. Even at a really good price. Even at a really good yeah. price. Because there's lots for them to pick from and negotiate mm-hmm. with and, you know, deals to work out. So it's just, it's just a lot tougher. And and not as many people want to live there or buy, build exactly. or whatever. Just not as much activity, mm-hmm. not as much happening. And uh, yeah, you just got to be, the price has is, is got to be super, super aggressive in order to make it make sense. Okay. So, and that was the mailing. So we talked about the pricing too low, mailing areas that are very hot or ultra competitive. And then that was mailing areas with limited sales activity Yeah, and how you find so, it. So you've got two sides that, mm-hmm. you know, the mistake I see a lot is people mailing into these ultra competitive areas. Mm-hmm. You know, that's tough for a new investor unless you've got that infrastructure that we've talked about, you know, building up. Or just like a really good understanding from some other way. Like exactly. maybe you live there maybe and you, you really there. get maybe it. You or your agent there. Yeah, exactly. And then the other side of things, mailing into areas with like no activity where it's mm-hmm. like a ghost town. Like you look at the map, you look at Zillow where they, you know, have all the dots of all the sales and you just see nothing, <laughs> you know, a sporadic one here and there. That just means that there's nothing happening. So it's tough. It's going to be hard to price it even. It's Yeah, exactly. Because like how you don't are you going to know? Right. You don't know what things are worth. Right. So yeah. it's like a multifaceted. There's not a lot of people looking for it. There's not a lot moving and you have no idea where you're going to price it at. Right. So ideally, uh-huh. you want to be somewhere in between those areas. And, you know, I go into 
how to select markets and everything in the in our training program. But it's important to really kind of make sure that you're sending to the right spots. Okay, so that was like mailing areas with no sales data. Mm, yes. And that's why. Okay, so then the next one is improper positioning of your letter and brand. What do you mean, Pete? Okay, well, I go into this in the training program too. I, I think it's really important to position yourself properly as, as a land investor. For instance, if my name was Larry, I wouldn't call my business Larry's discount, Larry's cheap lots or something like that. Okay. okay? okay. Because what you're doing is you are positioning yourself, you're sending out a letter Mm -hmm. to these people that own properties and they're going to get a letter and they're going to open up and they're going to say, oh, wait a second, Uh, got a letter from Larry's cheap lots. He wants to buy my lot for a really, really cheap price. You know, something doesn't sit right, you know? No, well, first of all, they're offended because they like their land. Right. Maybe. And they're like, this discount guy thinks my land's worth crap. And then also... You're not going to get the price like he's. Gonna- yeah, he's going to really, really lowball me uh-huh. and everything. It's just setting yourself up for failure, in my opinion. Now, if you're going to have two names for your company and some investors do this, I don't you know, I, I don't recommend it because we, you know, we actually use agents and everything to handle the sales mm-hmm. side. But, you know, maybe maybe Larry wants to handle all the sales himself and maybe he's got a selling arm of his company that's called Larry's Cheap Lots or Larry's Discount Deals or whatever. And that could the work, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you don't want to be that side of things facing towards the sellers that you're communicating with. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to position your brand as something that's discount or surplus or you know, any of those type of words like that, I think is really going to hurt your results. Right. And they're looking for... As a seller, they're getting a letter out of the, you know, out of the blue, pretty much. Right. They want to know that it's a professional company because they're, they might be worried that you're going to try to steal their, like, this is a scam. Right. We you're hear that a lot. Their, like, oh, is this know? a scam? Uh, right. No, we're actually buying properties. We buy hundreds mm-hmm. of properties a year. You know, we'd like to buy yours too. Right. And then, you know, the next thing is we use an escrow company or mm-hmm. an eight, whatever, it, you know, some people escrow title companies or an attorney, attorney yeah. in the area, a professional closer, someone in your community or in the state, you know, that's. Mm-hmm been doing this for a while it's not like we're gonna be like fly out there and like you sign over the deed and then we're like ah we take the deed and right you know what i mean like but you know that's what they're probably thinking and there's so many scammers out there that i don't blame them Mm -hmm. so it's got to present as professional you have to be professional you have to do what you're going to say you're going to do and right and as part of that you know you want to have a professional website so because people will go look at your website online and just make sure everything's consistent you are who you say you are and, and that type of thing so if you're not taking care of that side of, or you're improperly positioning yourself, I think you're kind of starting out in a hole and you don't need to be. Right. And also the way you explain it, like we're the, the convenience buyer. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, yeah, maybe you can get a lot more, or a little more, just the same on the, you know, the market, open market, but we make it easy. We make you it get easy. The cash. This is what you're going to get. There's no fees. We cover everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Um, and the other thing I think is interesting is that properties that, we don't end up buying for whatever reason. They It's not like they get charged anything. Mm-hmm. You yeah. pay if there's any closed escrow fees or title searches or anything like that. Right. And I think that's important too, because, you know, it, there, it's literally of no cost to them. No cost to them. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then your next one is inconsistent mailing schedule. And this one has bitten us in the bottom. In the bottom, Heather. Boy, don't use such <laughs> crude words. I know, right? <laughs> um, but not of your doing, but of my doing. When I said, we should, you know, we're going to be traveling. Let's not send out mailers because you're going to be doing all the driving and I don't know how you'll do it. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So we took a a vacation, a one month road trip. This was in 2021. So Mm -hmm. actually 
really about almost two years ago. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Almost, yeah. actually, it might it might almost be in yeah in June. Do we? So we left like it's we're just a month short of that. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Okay. Yeah, but at the time we were only really in the business for about six months, and you know I was doing a lot of things myself. I had an assistant, and I don't remember if I had anyone else on at that time. I don't think so. I think it was just me and the assistant kind of doing everything. Mm -hmm. And you saw how much I was working and you were like, hey, you know, you should kind of take a break and all this kind of stuff. And are you looking to scale your land flipping business quickly? Well, we're happy to present our new cutting edge system built specifically for land flippers. Take a look at the Land Conquest business system today and you'll gain full access to a customizable pre-made website, CRM, dedicated phone numbers, text automations, 24-7 support, and more. It's basically a business in the box. Go to software.landconquest.com to learn more. For some reason, I listened to that advice, even <laughs> though I knew better, and I didn't send out mail for all that whole month. Mm -hmm. And the problem was that it's not that month where you feel the pain. Right. It's months later where you feel the you know, the negative effects of that, because it takes time. There's like a whole ramp up here. It's not like instant. You send out mail maybe three to four months before you're actually receiving any revenue, any like resales from those, that mail that you sent right three or four months ago. So right. it's, you know, it really, it really messes with you down the road. Well, it's because the mail, it takes a couple of weeks to get to them. Mm -hmm. And then some people, normally the people that respond right away are the people that think you're smoking something. <laughs> And then, and wishing you well in life. Uh -huh. And then you get the people at the tail end, you know, that are actually interested because they've been thinking about it. They've like been if, thinking about it, yeah. You know, you get that letter in the mail and you're like, I never even thought I wanted to sell. And I just kind of put it aside and then go about your business. And you're like, I don't even use that land. Like he's going to give me that money. I could do whatever with it. And I, and think I don't have to pay it. the property taxes. Right. And, you know, you know, all, all these, these different reasons. And they're like, okay, if you're still, because a lot of times you'll get like, if you're still interested, I'd like mm -hmm. to sell it. Right. Because they think, well, it's been like a couple of weeks. Maybe you've moved on or something like mm -hmm. that, which is kind of funny. But um, yeah, so we do that road trip. We get back and then, and you're still working the deal. It's not like you didn't do anything, but I Oh, just, I did a lot. Yeah, I was, I, we, certain stops. We I remember uh, we were stopping and getting uh, deals notarized to uh -huh. sell them and things like that. I remember I had like three or four in one day at one time. Was and I was like, like, it was great. Was that Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. I just remember because we're not used to weather out here and it was pouring down rain. Mm -hmm. We were sitting in a parking lot and you were in there in a UPS store getting stuff notarized. Yeah. And I was thinking, I wonder if us sitting in this car and if it like, I don't know, maybe a tornado hit. Like I was thinking in my mind, like, oh, did well. the same thing in Ocean City, Maryland. Basically yes. the tour of like UPS stores. That is was what exactly we were doing. It. it was like we were planning our route by UPS stores. Yeah. Shout out to UPS stores and their notaries. Thank yes. you. Very good option. And also, but like, let's talk about that for a second. Let's say that you don't want to be bogged down by having to go to UPS stores. There's mobile notaries mm -hmm. yeah. that'll come out oh, yes. and do closings. And some states even let you do like the notary on the yeah, online notary, yes. notarize.com. Notarize.com. So I always think of like all the different reasons people are like, oh, I don't want to do this. It wouldn't fit in my schedule. It can. Yeah. Especially if you're like a professional that has a nine to five or whatever, you can make it work. It can be done. Mm -hmm. There's a solution to every th single little problem you're thinking of in your head. You right. You got to chip away at those one and by one. I think people are scared to throw money at problems, but I think that's the smartest use of your money. Mm, yeah. Because you can make, like, if you had to leave and go to a UPS store, let's say five times a day or whatever it turned out to be, or, or you had to do five of them. Mm hmm. And UPS stores maybe aren't always the best option for that because they're they're notarizing. I used to be a notary years and years and years ago, and you're notarizing so many random things. So it's not like you're in that system. But if you get a notary that comes to you that this is their like bread and butter, like they do this all the time, they can get it done about 
you know, but 70% quicker. Right. You know, they get their system. They know you too. Right. So they're not worried that you're like some person that stole an ID. That's, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I mean, that those are the things we had to worry about. Like, is uh-huh. this person really who it is? But going back to the whole sending the mail out by not getting out of that system, it's more consistent. And especially right now with your money, like, let's say you do have cash. So you're going to fund your own deals sitting in the bank. Yeah. You can get, you know, 4%, 5% even right now. Mm-hmm. Over a whole year. Right. Over a whole year. Right. But okay. Like that's way better than it was, you know, 0.3% a couple of yeah. years ago. But if you look at inflation, that's not really, you're not really making the same 5% you would have made years ago. Right. But by keeping that money moving is just as important as anything else. Right. Like you need, like sitting in the bank is a waste. So if you're investing that money, you keep it going. And then if you don't send that mail out and you're thinking, well, I want to get through this batch first, see how it goes and everything. Okay. Then you're going to get to end of that. You're going to, realize like you'll wake up one or two days and you'll be like, gosh, I haven't really had much going on. It's time to send that out. Okay. Well now you've restarted that whole cycle. Yeah. You're constantly going to be on the the roller coaster, you know, the roller coaster of, you know, an inconsistent business. So if you want to build a real business, a consistent business that's bring in leads, bring in deals, you're continuously growing over time. Getting that mailing schedule set is the most important thing you can do. Because once you have that set and it's going off like clockwork like it should be. You're going to have the leads coming in. You're going to have the deals and you're going to have the money at the end of the day. So I know it sounds so too too basic and everyone probably they hear me talk about this. They're probably like, okay, yeah, obviously, you know, we got to do that. But very few people actually do it. We just have very few. Right. You have to put it into your system. It's got to be a priority. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, like we always go back to like a sandwich shop, right? Let's say that you're a sandwich shop owner and you find like the best advertisement. You advertise in this one thing. I don't know. And it consistently brings people in. It's working great. You wouldn't turn it off. Like, I mean, let's say you did turn it off and then you're like, oh, shoot, I thought, you know, like that yeah. people would just magically come. You would never do that. You'd be like, OK, this is a gold mine. I found a way to do it. And that's kind of how I feel about the direct mailing. It's kind of a gold mine. It is. Especially when you find the areas that you like. And that's the other thing, too, is that you the areas that we invest in, you like them for the most part. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't mean. For the most part, you do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you're researching every single political stance there, but mm-hmm. in the side of you yourself would visit there. There's something exciting about it, right? Right. And I'm continuously trying to find new areas Mm -hmm. because I know this country is huge and there's a lot of opportunity in many different areas. So I'm always trying to establish new areas and we're always trying to, you know, send out more and more mail as well. But the consistency part of it is absolutely essential if you're going to have any sort of success in this business. Otherwise, it's going to be completely sporadic and you're not you're you're always going to be wondering like why can't i get this evened out like why can't i make this business work like like i know it's like it could feast or famine right it's the, it's the whole key to it mm-hmm. it's it's the gasoline that runs the engine it's everything right if you're going to do one thing that's it mm-hmm. i mean not one thing but you know what i mean like the one thing that you're going to make sure that always make happens. sure you got this part taken care of and if you're not the type of person that can actually get that done have an assistant do it you know hire hire an assistant that is like very regimented that's their job to actually get that mail together and get everything done. Obviously, you got to do your part of the deal, you know, the pricing or whatever, whatever you have set up. But you've got to make sure that it's somehow systematized and somehow going out on that regular basis. And if you do, I think you'll find that the business works, works pretty great. So tell me what a schedule would look like. Well, for us, it's the first and the 15th of every month. Is that when you get your paycheck? Yes, that's when I get my paycheck. You're spending money. I'm normally going to the casino and spending it, but uh, whatever I've left, I spend on oh, mail. Okay. 
Uh, <laughs> he doesn't gamble. He penny slots. I do get a paycheck though, but I never see the money for some reason. No, weird, huh? I don't yeah. know. Hmm. I should control the money too, but I guess you know. <laughs> Good luck finding it. Keep going. I'm doing all this work. And I never even get to see any of the money. Hey, they'll leave you a twenty dollar. And then I or, and then I ordered something that was you know kind of a decoration for my office, <laughs> and my little one is like, oh, why are you wasting money on that? <laughs> that was pretty funny. I'm like, I'd never buy anything for myself, but. That was funny. She did say that to you. She was like, oh, gosh, he's wasting money, isn't he? And I was like, what? Like, who are you? My daughter. Well, that's because I tell her that kind of thing sometimes, too. Like, that she wastes her money? Yeah, I might so say. So now every she's, like, throwing yeah. it back at you? Yeah, true. That's funny. Uh, that is funny. So where was that? what was I talking about? Uh, how do we keep... So you said the 1st and the 15th. Oh, 1st and the 15th, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, so you got to kind of back off from that, too. So... Say I want the mail to go out on the 1st and the 15th. I've got to plan backwards. You know, I've got to know, like, I've got to get the mail, the list to the mailing service a week before I want that mail. Wait, to be do you sent take out. like a dollar amount? Like, are you saying I want to send out, you know, X amount of dollars and then you divide it in half for the month? Or do you say I want to send out X amount of letters and divide letters, that? Letters, okay. Yeah. So the lists are never exact because I start with a certain amount and then you have to kind of filter out the ones that are, you know, people you don't want to send to and everything. But, uh, you know, as a, as an average, we at this point, we're sending out 100,000 letters a month, which is a lot, I know. But we just stepped up to that. We were at 50,000 for a long time. So I try to send out, you know, 50,000 on the 1st and 50,000 on the 15th. Sometimes it ends up being... 60,000 on the 1st, 40,000 on the on the 15th, you know, something like that. Do you feel like, like a failure when that happens? No, I don't okay. feel like a failure. No. <laughs> but thanks. Do you <laughs> see me as a failure when that happens? Okay. No, you're so regimented though. I could see that. I, yeah, I don't like it. Do it it does other. bother <laughs> me a little bit, but uh, you know, we try, but sometimes when you filter the list down and everything, it's a little bit unpredictable mm-hmm. what kind of numbers you're going to end but up. But I think with, that's so. important like don't send just to send. Mhm. Like right. it should be a yeah, good don't list. Send out crap, yeah. But yeah, because then you're gonna get crap. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you do fifty on the first, fifty on the fifteenth, and then um, so that when those start to hit, you're still you're. It's like a smoother. Yeah, exactly. So you got to you got to back off maybe about get get the mailing list to your mailing company, um, you know, about a week before they're gonna send it. You know, most of them are fine with that, and then you know, figure out how long it takes you to prepare a list. Mm-hmm. So you might start working on it a week before that. So you might actually start working on a list two weeks before that, the actual mail date. So really like what you should do as soon as the first, that one goes out, you should start working on the next one right yes, away. Correct. And then get that over to them. So there's no. Right. And, and if you know that you're going to be on a trip or you've got mm-hmm. some other commitments during that time, you're just going to have to get ahead. That's like, right. well, that's what I should have done in that situation. I should have gotten ahead, figured out a way to get ahead. But then we did do it. We, the next summer we went to East coast and into Canada for a while. And you did. Yes. Right. I did. Like you, you know, planned ahead, did all that. And by then we've had some people that help us do a lot. More exactly. Stuff, so. And that was one of my concerns too, at the time, because mm-hmm. I was dealing with, with those leads that were coming in too. Mm-hmm. So I was like, how am I going to deal with these leads that are coming in? You know, while I'm driving, through no cell service for six hours. Right, right. Yeah. And I just didn't want to, honestly, either. I was like, okay, I can use a little bit of a break, but, right. you know. It's a, because we were ramping it up. And again, if you're a single person show, you're probably not going to send out 100,000 offers a month. No, please don't do that. That would be kind of that would be That would be very difficult. Yeah. If you want to go big like me, you you like going big, don't do 100,000. <laughs> Without help. 
Yeah, yeah. Even, yeah. It, even without, I would start a little bit smaller. Oh, oh, I, yeah. Yeah, your first mail. Yes, yes, yes. Please don't do 100,000. I'm sorry. I thought you meant like don't ever. And I was like, no, there's people can get that high. But yeah, don't, yeah, don't start with 100,000. And that was, I, I think, my one question to you when we started. I was like, well, I'm sure I said to you like a money thing, not a number of mailers. I was like, okay, let's put, I think it was like $10,000 for mail mm -hmm. and then X amount for funding deals, you know, that kind of thing. And right. then once you start seeing it, I didn't actually freak out. On the first one, it's unlike me because I, I should have freaked out when the first batch didn't work. Uh -huh. But I don't think I did because it was kind of like, well, I felt like we learned. Well, you know, the other thing was we were very used to spending a lot of money on marketing right. or advertising with our other business, you know, blogger training business. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were spending a million dollars a year on Facebook ads for multiple years in a row. So yeah, more than that's would, like, yeah. yeah. So there were months we were spending $120,000 mm -hmm. in Facebook ads. Which, so 10,000 probably was nothing to me. Right. You were probably like, this is great. <laughs> I think you did That's mention that to me what, at one point. You're yeah. like, this is wow. And you're going to be able to make this much from that? And I'm like, well, I think so. Right. That does make sense. Okay. Because uh -huh. I'm like, because I don't remember the freak out there. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And then we set aside, okay, we would fund these. And and that's why even sending 100,000 letters a month doesn't seem terrible to me at this point. Because that doesn't still it's way me. less than that. Now, how much is that around cost? I mean, we're able to get it down to about 50000 mm -hmm. Um, because once you send the, the huge quantities of the mail, you get better pricing. Right. So, yeah. I mean, and the return on this is much better than... Than those ads, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And there's more control. Mm-hmm. Anyways, right. I won't get into Facebook ads because... Yeah. Yeah, well, Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a necessary evil, I guess. And that's why we didn't build our community on facebook by the way i get people asking me that like why don't you do a facebook group uh, because we've been there uh, we built a group um, around the blogger training business two hundred thirty thousand people and what we noticed at the beginning was great right you know they they were great to work with and you know there was a lot of interaction in the group and everything like that and then what happened was they they changed their algorithms as they always do and basically they, you know, you spend money on ads to get people in your, your community and everything like that. And then they start recommending other similar communities of people that haven't, didn't, you know, spend any money on ads or anything like right. that. And then they show it the list anytime you post on something like they would only show it to like 20 people or something mm -hmm. crazy like that. So, so you spend all this money to build this. Right. Under the understanding when we originally built it, that it was getting this kind of interaction. And mm -hmm. then, yeah, that thing that the kicker for me was that they would offer okay, good. It was a good lead. We paid for it, whatever. They joined our community and then they would instantly do fake groups that were kind of like ours or knockoff. Yes. Groups. Knockoff. And yeah. then people would be like, I bought this thing. And I was like, that's not mine. Right. Like, it's not me. Like, I'm sorry about that, but you, you know, but, 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 and I'm like, it's that's <laughs> literally not me. Look right. at it. That's not me. And that's important because the information we're sharing is because, and we have always is what works for us. And we share what doesn't work for us. Mm -hmm. yeah, like it's right. not some, you know, idealistic or and anything you can choose to follow it if you want you know this is mm -hmm. what works for us this is exactly what we're doing and obviously it's not the only way to do things no. other people have success doing different things but but we don't share what we don't know works right or hasn't worked for us i think that's so important because in the same thing with the blogging and online stuff you could you know come up with a million different schemes that could theoretically work and and there's value in that mm -hmm. but we're very careful that we only share like we have tried it and we've learned and like that this is a perfect example you sent out ten thousand letters and right it was kind of cost a, real money a huge failure no i'm just kidding right. it wasn't but you know what i mean like that's why 
there's value in that and that's why we share it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. You ready for some? Yeah. So we always do, um, or we, I guess normally we try mm-hmm. to feature some questions from our land flipping community. So uh, just another quick pitch. If you are not a member, please, um, consider joining because if this content is interesting for you, I think you'll find a lot of value in the community. We've got lots of brand new investors in there. We've also got lots of experienced investors that have been there, uh, been there, done that, and are great contributors to the community. And then as well, also people to fund your deals. Like hopefully you will consider us to fund your deal and we're going to be launching a whole program you around that. You just stole that, so. exactly what I was going to say. Stole your thunder, Heather? Yeah, I was like literally going to mention that. That's okay. hilarious. Maybe it was the look I gave you. Yes. That said, talk about fund my deal. That's yes. funny. Okay. Well, okay, that was the first thing I was going to talk about is that in the group, they, people do talk about funding. Community. Community. I'm sorry mm-hmm. about that. Words matter, Heather. They do. And, <laughs> and I just failed you. I'm sorry about that. There's a lot of talk about fund my deal where people are posting different deals and right. stuff like that. And so we're working on a solution. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've got all the framework for it. I just mm-hmm. haven't announced it yet. So is basically, this an announcement? Huh? No, this isn't the official announcement. Okay. I'll do an official announcement. But basically, we want to partner with you and we want to fund your deal. So you bring the deal to the table. You know, you're sending out letters, you're generating deals in any way that you generate a deal. We'll partner with you. We'll fund the deal. We'll split the profits. The thing that's going to be different about us is that as soon as you bring the deal to the table, you know, say you get a contract signed. And it, we'll look at it quickly and say, okay, we can do this. Or, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we can't do it for whatever reason. But if it's a deal and we like the, the property, we'll partner with you. So basically, we'll take over from there. Like, I'll plug it into our whole system. I'll get my whole team involved. We'll pay for the photographer to go out there. We'll get the broker opinions. We'll, you know, we've got a lot of great broker contacts all over the country. So, and if we don't have one there, we'll find a good one. And then, yeah, we'll take over from there. We'll purchase the property. And then when it resells, then we'll split the profits. And this all came about because we were thinking about, like we were talking about how you and I are, you're good at one thing, I'm good at something else, completely Mm -hmm. different. But like, let's say I really want to do this, but I'm not, that's not my mindset or my skill set or whatever. What are the common roadblocks that we could give someone who's enthusiastic about it that wants to do this? Mm -hmm. Like, because anyone can do this, right? but with some help. Right. right. So we were thinking of all these different steps and stuff. What, what could we do to make it where maybe you love finding deals? That's what you want to focus on. We've built up this whole team. So it's like, how can we best use them too? Right. Exactly. So you find the deals, you know, you get uh, the contract signed mm-hmm. and then we can kind of take over from there. You don't have to spend any of your own money to actually purchase the property. You don't have to spend any money on due diligence like we do, you know, like hiring the photographer. You don't have to manage the transactions at all on either side. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do any of this stuff. We'll do do it all and we'll use our years of experience and existing contacts and all that. Yeah, to get it done and make as much money as possible for both of us. Okay, so I've got a couple questions. I'm going to let you answer this one while I look for some more here. But um, this one's from Kirsten and she talks about rejecting an offer. What's a nice way of saying that I am not interested in the offered property? And she goes on, she talks about like the seller leaves a, a Google voicemail. Okay, so I'm assuming... And it could be wrong, but I'm assuming that maybe Kirsten sent out a letter to mm-hmm. someone, a blind offer letter to someone, and the person called back or responded or respond, called back and left a Google voicemail mm-hmm. about that they wanted to move forward with that offer. Problem uh, maybe sounds like she doesn't want to move forward with that deal because maybe she looked up the property in detail and saw like the property is uh, landlocked or maybe, you know, a ver- one of a variety of issues, which happens a lot. So, in that case, you know, the, the best thing to do is just to call them back and say, hey, we had a closer look at your property. 
we can't move forward for this reason. You know, maybe it's whatever that reason is, but it's good to give them a reason and let, let them know why. We didn't realize the property is landlocked. We didn't realize that the property is on the side of a mountain. We didn't realize that it's underwater. We didn't realize that it's, you know, <laughs> that it's, you know, who knows. But anyhow, whatever that case may be, you, you let them know. Now, if it's just a situation where you were too high on your offer price, then in, in those types of situations, it's always worth trying to negotiate a, a different deal. Just say, hey, listen, I know that we offered you 10000 on your property, but we didn't realize that the property was 75% wetlands. You know, we just didn't realize that when we sent out the offer. I still like the property, and I'd be interested in moving forward with the purchase, but in order to, to move forward with that, you know, I'd, I'd need to be at, you know, $5,000 in order to make the deal make sense or whatever the case may be. Or you could also say, you know, like, given all that stuff, I still want to buy it. What is the absolute best that you can do on that property and see what they come back at? Maybe they'll come back at 3000 So it's always best, honestly, to ask, you know, put the ball back in the court and say, hey, for all these reasons, we can't move forward that offer price. It still would be interesting buying it if the price are right. So given all those factors, what is the absolute best that you can do? Do you have a great deal under contract? Well, submit it to partnerwithpete.com. The Partner with Pete program is a deal funding program where we will actually use our funds to complete the purchase of the property. We will do every other step of the process, including the due diligence, the transaction side, the marketing side, and the transaction on the resale side. And when all the dust settles, we will split the profits 50-50. There is no downside for you as an investor, only upside. So once again, go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and let's get it funded. And then if they won't throw out a number, then you have to you have to give a number and, and start from there. But it's always worth trying. And we put together a lot of deals that way. You know, it's not always just like whatever is exactly on the on the offer. It's like a start of the conversation. It all depends if the if the lot is good or not. Right. If it's a bad lot, move on. Right. If it's a good lot, see what you can negotiate. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, it's just that simple. I mean, mm -hmm. assuming it's in a, a decent area for this kind of activity. Um, okay. So Todd asked about info lots, mm -hmm. thinking right on the offer price. Okay. I got a line on a 1.3 acre info lot in a smaller town, one hour out of Houston. Market value seems to be somewhere between a hundred thousand to 110 based on blended pricing of sale and sold prices with a 10% discount factored in. Want to be conservative given future potential downturn. Yet realistic enough to current market dynamics. What would you offer? 35%, 40% or more? My goal is a minimum of $30,000 spread. So I believe I have some room to adjust if needed. Appreciate any greater insights and experience. You don't even have to get into numbers on this, but I just want you to talk about how you would look at that. First of all, would you do a lot like that? Yeah, yeah, I would do a lot like that. First of all, I would make sure lots are moving like that in that area. So, you know, those info lots are a little tougher. Some areas are not desirable areas and there's lots of these infill lots and they just rarely ever sell uh, unless they're really ultra super cheap. Sounds like Todd has done a little bit of research and come up with the market value. One thing that I, I think I caught in what you said is he came up with a blended price between sold and for sale. Mm -hmm. 100 to 110,000. Right. So that the blended thing is, is a problem. Not a problem, but I wouldn't consider active listings in a situation like this as a as any sort of impact on the, on the actual price that I would, I would sell a property for. So I would look at the sold comps only. 
So, and if the market is is going down in that particular area, see, I don't, I don't really know this market or anything. Mm-hmm. Like if the market was going down in that particular area, I would look at the most recent comps that I could find. And also on infill lots, those type of lots, you're only looking in a very small area too. So you want the you, ones that are actually around that. Yeah, right? yeah. You want to be real careful about expanding your area too much. So generally, if you can find something in the same subdivision, mm-hmm. those are the best comps. So. I would really just kind of look for the best comps, maybe the one or two best comps. Also really look into how long it took to sell those. You know, you can look at the listing history and see how long it was on the market, when it was listed, when it went pending, when it sold. That's all really good data. So I would take a look at that. And then I would, depending on how active that area is, you know, I'd have to take a look and and kind of come up with the recommendation of what percentage of that retail price I would then expect to get. So if it's a hot market, you know, I'd, I'd think like 90%, something like that. If it's a if it's a really slow market, you'd have to back that way down percentage of retail just in order to kind of force a sale quickly. But generally, I, you know, when I'm negotiating with someone specifically on these properties, I always do that benchmark. I always do the benchmark like, hey, I try to double my money. So for instance, say I looked at that and I thought, okay, I think I could sell it for 80000 I'd probably try to offer them 35000 or something like that. And then... I'd, I'd come up a little bit in order to put the deal together if if that were the case. But I'd be conservative on my estimate of the of the retail value. Yeah. And a couple of things on that, too. Like, why is that land? I mean, this is you can get it under contract, but you have to like you need to be looking really deep there. Right. Some communities, they won't let you hook onto sewer like there's just not there's no space. And unfortunately, the person who bought that didn't do it in a timely manner. And now you're out of luck. So, yeah. Your due diligence is very important because it's only right. that, like that's the only use of that bot. Right. You're not going to like use it for hunting or something. You know what I mean? Like in, in yeah. most of these communities, there's there's too close. And you talked about a shooting range. It's not going to be a recreational property at, <laughs> at that size because it's every, assuming everything else is built up. Right. And then the other thing, too, is you talked about making sure that you're only looking in that specific community. I'd even look at those houses there. Mm-hmm. Like, how are they being used? Right. Like you're not going to build like, I mean, maybe you will. You see people who do like the five story mansions when there's no regulations and everyone else has like a 1200 square foot house. And it's right. that's not going to be desirable. You don't right. want to be the best house in that neighborhood. But I know I'm sure there's people make a bunch of money doing that. That's oh, yeah. Yeah. Sir, yeah. Can be very lucrative. Right. You just need to be, you know, more careful. Yeah, know your stuff. Yeah. Right. OK. Um, Anson asked about filters and list size when generating a list from your data service is more filters or less filters best. For example, if you filter absentee owners plus minimum lot size of X plus minimum length of ownership of X, et cetera, and only return 700 results in your county, do you open up your filters to that county to widen the net or do you mail those few hundred and then hit other counties with the same mailer? I think that's interesting. So like, do you like I think of a mailer, I think, OK, we're doing that mail. It's, you know, 25,000 to this whole community, but you, you probably don't, you probably do a little bit here and there. What, what do you do? Yeah. Well, a lot of these mailers I've got, you know, 30 or 40 counties that are mailing, you know? So yes, I've got filters that, that I use that we talk about in our training program, but you can get very specific. So there's kind of two, two ways that you can do it. You do more of the shotgun approach. If you like a certain area and you know, you want to kind of establish yourself in a certain area, then I would do kind of less filters and really try to, to do that. But just know that it may not be, if you're just simply looking at like cost of mail per deal, you know, like it may, you, you may get a better return on your mail if you're, you know, filtering it down more. But, you know, obviously that leaves other potential deals off the table too that you're not going to send to. So it's kind of a difference of philosophy. One thing, if you're just kind of, you know, hunting around to find good areas to mail to, 
Maybe you get kind of specific on your filters and do a bunch of different areas and kind of see what hits. And then as you start getting momentum in a certain area, then you can start expanding your list when you're remailing it and things like that. It's interesting because if you limit your list, you could miss some random ones, right? You can miss a great deal, right. which you can pay for everything. So Right. But then the problem is that you could also be spending so much of your money on these random ones that won't pan out. It's like right. that balance that you have to find. Right. But then the more you do it, you got to feel for it, right? You do. You do. And, and you'll find areas that you like. You'll find good people, mm-hmm. that you know, good agents and everything that you're going to be dealing with. And in those type of areas, then you're like, okay, I can, I can broaden it out more. I can see, you know, which ones am I missing? Like what, what can we do in order to, to get more deals in these areas? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I have one more that's not specific to a certain person. It's just, it, I mean, someone asked kind of a generic question about this, but do you ever buy lists? Just rent, you know, people who just put together random lists of people that might want to sell. That's, I mean, I, I'm not going to even tell you more details. Like literally someone just comes to you and says, I have a list of potential what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't throw out that idea. It's not the way I've been doing it, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't throw out that deal. Maybe if someone has some sort of super niche idea to come up with this cool criteria for for building a list. Maybe it's maybe it's less geographical, but maybe it's just just more about the criteria. Maybe they're sending the whole country, but it's specific specific items like that. I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. You know, I know it's certain providers do these tax default lists and things like that. So that's something to consider. Um, I wouldn't do that as my bread and butter, but I would m- maybe more do it as a supplement. Like just asking, well, what are the criteria for adding it? Don't just generically accept a. Oh yeah, yeah. I would be very, you know, I would, I would want to know exactly like what, what is it special about this list? What, you know, mm-hmm. what's the play here? Worth considering, I guess. Yeah, but, but, but it's like, not, not how I would generate my list normally. So right, because you don't have as much control, mm-hmm. and you could literally buy a dead list. I think a long, long time ago, people used to sell email lists like that. Mm, yes, yes, which is completely. Yeah, not a good idea. No, I'm not allowed now. But <laughs> yeah. but I thought that was interesting. I like the idea of staying open to new things, trying new things. I think that's what the whole thing is when you're sending this mail out is to kind of, you'll get a general, you'll start to get a feel for the areas you like, the properties you like. And I'm not talking about like you're going to move to them or like you like it to the extent that you're going to buy it to keep. It's more just like what your kind of niche is almost in this. Right, exactly. Yeah, you'll learn the regulations. You'll learn what's what's valuable in a certain area and what's not. And uh the more you know, the more information that you have, the more effective of an investor you will be. Yeah. So. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Great place to stop. Yeah. So quick. one more quick reminder. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't joined our community yet, please do so. Link below this video if you're watching it on YouTube. If you're listening to it in your car, driving down the road, when you go home, <laughs> when you get go, home, go to turningprofit.com. <laughs> There's a button on there that says join our community. Just go from there. And also, while I'm mentioning turningprofit.com, I do a monthly income report on there and uh, I try to go really deep on what is happening in our land business. You know, like the revenue we took in that month, the profit we took in each and every deal that we did, like what we bought it for, what we sold it for, the profit on that deal, notes on those properties, how many days we held it for, all kinds of information like that. So if you're trying to, if you're in the beginning stages of trying to understand what may be possible within this business, I would highly recommend either reading those income reports or I've got videos on YouTube for each of those income reports as well. I would check those out. Where do they find you on YouTube? How do they find you? Yeah, you could just do at turning profit. Okay. So, you know, they, you can now look up a channel by that name. So just the at symbol and turning profit. Are you on Instagram? I'm on Instagram, Reese Peter. So are you on Instagram? I, I am, but I don't share anything about land, but you're welcome to find me over there. It's a lovely life, but okay. yeah, all right. <laughs> might not be the most thrilling content. Yeah, t- TikTok, uh, you're welcome to check me out over there. I post a lot of things, but for some reason, 
it's just no momentum. I don't know. TikTok's, I think, going through a going through some things. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I'm also on LinkedIn. Oh, I'm also on Twitter. Okay. What are you on LinkedIn? How do they find just, just Peter Pete, Reese? Pete Reese, I believe Reese. it's under. Yeah. So okay. check me out there. And then Twitter. Twitter. At Pete Reese. Twitter's going through some things too. Facebook, yes, Facebook. We've got a turning profit page on Facebook. You can follow that. You'll see all the all the short clips that we post daily. So. Awesome. So we're everywhere you are. Yes. But yes. Or, please follow or, us because it's kind of embarrassing how, how few followers I have, especially TikTok. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You're hung up on TikTok. <laughs> I keep getting these emails from TikTok. It says, okay. we're not the only one that likes you. And, it, and it, I open it up. It says, you got one new like. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I think the, the reality is, do you spend a lot of time on TikTok? No, I never use it. Okay. So, so you expect this platform to love you and you don't love it. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm just saying that. Um, that's true. That's probably why. That's yeah. probably why it's not working. Where do you yeah. spend the most time? Um, I look on uh, Instagram, YouTube. I like a lot. YouTube, yeah, mm-hmm, and yeah. Link- LinkedIn to some mm-hmm, extent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the. Be- I mean, you guys are welcome to follow Pete on TikTok, and he does put cool stuff there. Um, <laughs> yes, I don't do any dancing. Don't don't worry. <laughs> it's not happening. Anyways, until next time, right? We'll see you then. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Ready to start Turning Profit yourself? Head to turningprofit.com to step up your real estate investing game. See you on the next episode.